Problem, the podcast in which we rewatch movies from our youth to determine if they're problematic by today's standards. I am Jimmy. And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing The Craft or 1990s The Movie, which was released in the US on May 3rd, 1996, and in the UK on November 8th, 1996, and in Ireland on November 15th, 1996. It was written by Andrew Fleming and Peter Filardi and directed by Fleming. It also stars Robin Tooney, Veruza Balk, Nev Campbell, Rachel True, Christine Taylor and Skeetle Rich. What's going to happen is this. Jen and I have thought of three positive... Eh, no, we haven't. Um, <laughs> Jen and I have thought of three, problem, three problems this movie has. Uh, three each. And also a positive, And we'll have a little discussion about it. So, Jen, what is your history with the craft? Um, I love it. Um, it's weird that I, this is my pick. Yeah, it is. Especially since I'm the one with the craft mug. Yeah. Um... I don't know why I didn't see it in the theater. That's always been confusing to me. But I remember my friends and I rented it at a sleepover and I loved it. And I've seen it a million times. Although it's been a while. Like mm-hmm. some, I realized I'd forgotten a lot. And um, I still listen to the soundtrack. I haven't seen this movie in about uh, 10 years, maybe. And I remembered everything. Which <laughs> is... That's, that's just me, though. I mean, I, I do tend to remember movies... After having maybe seen them once or twice. I've seen this one quite a few times. I watched it a lot. Uh, I think I saw this back in... It probably would have been 97 when it came out in VHS. Yeah. Because I would have rented... I would have rented it. This is the kind of movie I absolutely would have 100% rented. I saw Scream in the cinema. Um, the, the original one. Not the one that should have been called Scream 5. also saw that in the cinema. Uh, but I saw the first Scream in the cinema, so this, I think, I must have seen adverts for it, trailers for it, uh, and I just thought, hey, there's two people from that movie I like, and this I will rent mm-hmm. it. But I would have rented it anyway, because back then I watched yeah. teen movies a lot, so, yeah. But, yeah, I, I've got a soft spot for this movie. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, good. <laughs> Let's see. So, let's just dive into our problems. Okay. Um, and my first problem is, I don't really buy Nev Campbell and Rachel True's outcasts. Um, especially Rachel True, uh, which she's just an outcast because she's black, really. Well, that's the thing. That's why I buy it. Because apparently there was um, a scene cut out where they actually like specifically mentioned she's the only black person in the school. That's fair enough. But Rachel True is gorgeous. She is. So I, I really, I really don't understand why she's not ruling the school. Um, because racists don't care yeah, if they're exactly. attractive. But in a, I know, but in a typical, well, we're going to get into racism, trust me. But in a typical sort of American, you know, Hollywood movie, the most attractive girl would have been the, you know, the Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. But, you know racism and all that, but I still don't really buy them as outcasts. I still don't. I still think she would have her her own little sort of crew of devotees. I don't think I don't think every single person in that school is racist because we only see it from a small group. In fact, we only see it from one person, really, and then she's got a couple of hangers on. So. Yeah, but if you imagine she might be one of, like, if she's the most popular girl in school, then people might follow her lead. Mm, yeah, but that's... I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think you realize how racist uh, high schools in America 
were especially then. No, I understand how racism was um, and is. And but, is. But movie-wise, I think it's, you know, mm. it's just not... I'm just saying, right, he shouldn't have cast someone who looks like Rachel True if you want to buy that, me to buy that she's the outcast. I just don't... And also Nev Campbell. Yeah. Um, still don't sort of see it, but, you know... Where they screwed up there is, like, when you first see Nev Campbell, I find it totally believable. Like, she's, like, her hair's kind of covering her face. She's wearing, yeah. like, bulky clothing. She's got her head in a book. Like, the way that she carries herself mm. and the way that she looks, mm. I I do I do buy that. The problem is, between that and getting her burn scars removed, you see her in more revealing clothing at school and stuff. And I think if they kept her looking kind of mousy. Yeah. And um, with her head in a book or whatever, um, like not looking at people, it would have been more believable. Um, But they had her looking very attractive um, and more confident um, at times in the movie when I don't think she should have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't buy it. I I buy Faruza Falk as Mm -hmm. an outcast um, because she just sort of carries herself in that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. She plays that character to a T. But yeah, I kind of struggled with uh, problems for this, to be honest with you. I I did too. Um, Yeah, so what's your first one then? Oh, God. I'm still not sure about my third. That's how much I had trouble finding problems with this movie. um, Because I just love it so much. Uh, My first problem... (laughs) So I've never been to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But I know enough about Los Angeles from TV and movies and half the podcasts I listen to are recorded there to know it barely ever rains there. Yeah. This movie makes it look like L.A. is a very rainy place. And for some reason, that really bugged me. Like, I forgot it took place in L.A. And I was like, I don't buy this. I don't buy that this movie takes place in L.A. Mm. Yeah. So it's it looks like it should be in Seattle or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I don't really, I, I never got to do it. But again, only watching TV shows and stuff like that. Um, even stuff from around that time, like Buffy, where it was always mm-hmm. sunny. Um, yeah, so that's the extent of our problems so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my second problem, and I'm just going to jump straight to the final act. Okay. My, my second problem is bugs. You know how I hate bugs in movies. It's really the third act in general. I enjoy the movie a great deal for the first hour or so. Mm-hmm. But for a movie that celebrates the weirdos, it doesn't have to turn against them in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the weirdos, mister. And I can imagine that this sort of movie had a, a big effect on kids who thought they were outcasts or were outcasts. Yeah. Um, but then I think the movie kind of not punishes them, but you know the characters. It just, it sort of it does turn against them. I feel like, and the depiction of like Nancy's mental health at the end is very stereotypical and dated. When she's lying there and um screaming at the camera, and the mental the the people at the mental health facility don't give a shit and just stab mm. her with a needle, that's that's not a good depiction of mental health or mental health care. But no, no, you know, it's not. Uh, 
but hey, at least with all the snakes in the movie, the doctor, the doctor, uh, at least with all the snakes in the movie, the director got over his fear of snakes. Since they used 10,000 snakes. Yep. Like real snakes. Yeah. That, oh, that would have been, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not afraid of snakes, but, uh, oh, to be fair, I've never actually been close to one. I've never touched one, so, but, you know, in theory, I'm not afraid of snakes. Uh, bugs. Don't like bugs. Go away. So what's your second problem? Well, I, uh, snakes. I do have a problem <laughs> with snakes. Um, so I watched, I watched the movie at a different time than usual today. And I watched it in my living room and we have a ton of windows. Like we have a wall that's just like mostly windows and it goes up really high. So we don't have curtains in front of like the high windows. Right. And so there was a glare on the TV from the sun. So I couldn't like occasionally I couldn't really see some of what was going on on the screen. Yeah. Which means this is the only time I've ever seen this movie and had my eyes open during the third act because I hate snakes so much that I have never been able to watch it without having to close my eyes for part of the time. It's never happened until today. And that's only because there was a glare on the TV and I couldn't see all the snakes that well at that point. Um, I did actually get over my fear of snakes for a hot minute at one point. Um, When Snakes on a Plane came out, I wanted to see it in the theater because it seemed like the kind of movie that would have a great crowd. Yeah. That like, you know, I I love a good crowd reaction to a movie. Yeah. And one of my coworkers at the bookstore had made a display dedicated to Snakes on a Plane and it was just a ton of books about snakes. And every time I walked past it, I had to close my eyes because I'm so afraid of snakes. And I was like, how am I going to see this movie? And so I made myself just look at the display. Like, I would just stare at the display whenever I passed by it. Like, I made myself look at the snakes. And by the time I saw the movie, I was able to handle it because I had just made myself look at snakes. Yeah. And so for a while after Snakes on a Plane, I wasn't really afraid. But that didn't last long. I'm, I'm afraid again. I hate them. I hate them so much. Yeah. See, I, I don't mind snakes at all. But... um. Well, we had this during um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. where I hated all the bugs, and there was big giant grass uh, grasshoppers or whatever. Like there was really horrible big bugs in that movie, and then you were fine, but then they mentioned the snakes, and you were like, <laughs> "It's just like so." Yeah. Right. So my third problem is actually racism. But it's real-life racism, um, so it's not really anything to do with the movie. But Rachel True said in a, an interview that she experienced racism while making this movie. Mm-hmm. And she experienced it like after the movie and still kind of does, which is yeah. horrible. Um, she said, when we were shooting the movie, I had literally um, been told to uh, by my team to stay away from Feruza. Um she can get away with stuff and you will get fired for it. I was literally told, you're black, so don't say fuck you, mommy, like the white girls. Which, yeah. yeah. Um, but she doesn't accuse anyone directly. But she also said, um, the publicity team put up a poster of the four of us, mentioned the three girls and then skipped down the call sheet. I think this is how black actors get underpaid. Uh, this is how they get forgotten. And it's part of why I mouthed off about the publicity back in the day that I was excluded from. At the time, I don't think my castmates understood. They were like, you're not as famous as us. 
what they didn't get is that in the early to mid-1990s, the studios excluded the black person, which meant they were never going to be as famous as you because they didn't get the press. And the thing about the, the actresses is, like, that's that's some that's some real white girl shit. Yep. I mean, like, just, like, not understanding... The, and I'm not I'm not blaming them because, especially then you know, white people are naive. Like they yeah. they don't like want the, to think that there's there's racism and stuff. I think now now they would seem like bigger assholes if they because we talk about racism now. We talk about it openly, and yeah. so I would think maybe things would be different. And she did say she didn't deal with anything bad with the actresses themselves. But yeah, she was the only one of them not to be invited to the MTV movie awards that year. Um, currently when they do conventions, like when they do craft reunions at conventions, they don't invite her, but they invite the other three. Yeah. Um, she tweeted at showtime because showtime, um, in the description on the app or, or whatever, um, it listed the other three actresses names, but not hers. And, um, it's she just gets forgotten about so much and it's it's frustrating. And I also feel like her storyline in the movie is it seems a little more minimal than the others. Yeah. Um which is which is, you know, terrible considering she's dealing with racism, you know, in the actual movie the character is. But I think her plot is quite sort of just rushed and not really thought out as well as the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think part of that though is that she was supposed to be bulimic, and then as soon as, but she was also supposed to be white. Right. And Rachel True really fought to audition. Like she had trouble getting an audition for the movie. She fought to audition for it, and um, she got the role. And so as soon as she got the role, they changed it to racism. So that's like that was kind of a last minute change, I guess. Right, but it still would have probably had the same allotted screen time as the bulimic story if you were just changing some things in the script. Unless, I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine bulimia would have been that much of a big story either. You know? I well, just... it it probably would have also gone kind of with body image, which I, I assume, which would be a little redundant. Yeah, because you already um... have that with uh, Neff Campbell's character. Yeah, I mean, it's true to life, because that's what it's like for teenage girls. Absolutely, it, yeah. But yeah, it, it would have been... And and I, I was curious what she felt about the racism thing. I kind of went down a rabbit hole of looking up Rachel True interviews and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And she's apparently she did have a problem with the racist storyline, a bit of a problem when they were filming. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, And I can see that, like, the fact that as soon as they cast her, they make it all about her race. But she said that later in life she learned to appreciate it. Yeah. So it's and and I read a thing that showed how progressive the movie was. That like it was talking about race at a time people weren't talking about race. Um, it was like talking about as far as the burns and stuff, kind of talking about ableism and like how something like those burns can affect uh, someone in in psychological ways. Um, talking about suicide without um like talking about it a little more true um Rachel true. but with yeah um there were some other things too it was oh it's stuff about rape culture like yeah. but the movie was was touching on stuff that you would definitely expect from a movie now um i say that and i should probably 
say there is a movie now. I just haven't watched it. The Craft sequel, yeah. um, which I heard isn't very good, but it was directed by Zoe Lister Jones, who I really like. So I, I think they, they use, I think they use the, the like some of the same sort of lines in that movie. I saw mm. that the, 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 they used the uh, We Are the Weirdos, Mister Lane movie as well, and it's like, but you're supposed to be a sequel, so why are you using the exact same line? Yeah. That's kind of pointless. If it was a remake, then absolutely. What's the fuck you, mommy thing? What's that? I have no idea. I have no... I'm going to guess that's something Fruzabok actually said to someone. I don't know. I have no idea. It's like everybody else can say it to Fruzabok. Mm -hmm. You can't because you're black. Uh, But shout out to Rachel True for talking openly about it. I think that's important, and I understand why somebody wouldn't want to. Yeah. Um, no one was talking about this kind of stuff for a long time, like their experiences with racism on sets. Um, and now people are actually speaking out, um, like Ray Fisher. No, um, and And I only even remember, thought of the Ray Fisher thing because uh, this week Vulture did a piece on Joss Whedon. Right. And uh, I read it earlier, and it was upsetting um they interviewed him yeah he's he's he doesn't he doesn't he denies a lot so there's too many stories to not believe them so what is your third problem well you stole my third problem um but i thought of something else and okay what did i steal snakes no no the the, the, what you just said all right our third problems were the same um that's unusual which i which I had kind of debated in my head because I was like, that doesn't actually have to do with the movie itself, like the content of the movie, but it, it is important to talk about. And yeah, I was definitely, yeah. yeah, I was, it took me a while to decide if that was going to be one of mine, but right. okay. I didn't know until I listened to the commentary like 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Robin Tunney was wearing a wig. Like, yeah. She just did that by records. It's all I notice. It's yeah. all I notice is that yeah. it's a wig. That there's something with her hair that looks that seems different than than it usually should, and it's because she's wearing a wig. It's so distracting to me. Um, although it was nice to know she truly shaved her head for Empire Records, because I had always wondered if she actually shaved her head or if they like had a bald, bald cap. cap or something on her. And so that's that's fucking dedication, man. Absolutely. Um, but especially like for an actress. You know, when looks are so important that yeah. she actually shaved her head. And it sucks that she shaved her head for a movie that, like, didn't get seen at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, like, I was obsessed with seeing it, but only because I had the soundtrack and I love the soundtrack. But, like, that movie, I don't believe it was released in theaters. Or if was it was, it was, if it was, it was very, it was a very small run. Because it didn't, it was never here in Tulsa. Um, I sh- I checked the papers every week to see if it was out, and it it never came out here, um, which really pissed me off because I was obsessed with that soundtrack, which I now have on vinyl. Um, <laughs> but yeah, her her wig is distracting to me, and I don't even think it necessarily looks bad. I'm I'm not good at judging wigs. Like I've seen people criticize wigs in movies, and I'm like, I didn't even notice. Yeah. But when you know it, it's different. Well. I think it looks like a wig. Um, I think I thought that when I first watched it, or at least it just looks too sort of bulky to be 
Yeah. You know, and um, and the, the the scene where she moves her hair and then it turns a different colour, mm-hmm. um, she actually wore a green wig for that. So they can okay. change it with special effects um, mm-hmm. for a computer. Um, so I quite like that wee fun fact that she was rocking a green wig for uh, a scene. It's very distracting. And sometimes you can see, like, the, the hairline that mm. was a wig. It's just a bit. Um, and another thing I wanted to mention that's not related to that is you told me I should have my inflation calculator out, yes. which I, I normally wouldn't have. Sometimes I forget about it. Um, but the $175,000 that Nancy and her mom gets in today's money would be $289,725.44. So that's a nice, that's a nice payout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, a nice sum of money. Yeah, I, uh. But then I'm watching them, like, how much money they spend. And you can tell you're an adult when you watch that. And you're like, no, you should be saving a bunch of it. Like, don't yeah. go, like, getting a really swanky apartment and, like, a jukebox and stuff. It's like, you're going to run out of money if you live too lavishly. Yeah. And also, I, I thought, like, how could they afford that apartment, like, even back then with that amount of money in California? It, it seems like the apartment is a little bit too sort of swanky mm-hmm. for the amount of money that they had. But, but yeah. And the jukebox only plays Connie Francis songs. <laughs> <laughs> but if I if I came into a ton of money, I would actually get a jukebox. I would get a jukebox. I miss those jukeboxes where you have a limited selection. Because now, like, when I go to the bar, they have the jukebox where you have an app... And you can play, like, there's just thousands and thousands of songs on it. And almost any song you can think of, you can play. Yeah. But there's something about having that limited selection that I really liked. I th- Well, I think we have too many options in general for everything. Yeah. I There is something about ha- having to make a choice from a, a limited selection that I always liked. That's that's part of that's part of the fun of rent going to the store and renting movies, right? That, like, you have to go with what is there and... We all know that experience now where you want to watch a movie and it takes forever to pick one because you have too many options. You know what I mean? Like, you'll go on Netflix and be like, I don't, I want to watch this, I want to watch this, I want to watch this, which one should I watch? You could have decided what you were going to get, go to a video store, it's out, and you have to make a decision based on what is left in the store. And I think there was something good about that. And it's good for us to not get what we want all the time. So I miss those jukeboxes because you end up listening to music you might not normally listen to. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm just like playing the music I, I love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people say that um, that physical media is dying because you can get every movie you want. And that's just not true. At all. Yeah, it's not. It's not at all. A few years ago, someone asked me if I did the Netflix purge, and I was like, what's the Netflix purge? And they said, oh, you get rid of all your movies that you own that are on Netflix. And I'm like, but they're not going to be there forever. No, that makes no sense. Well, and there there was, a, we were re-watching The Office a few years ago, and there were a couple times where the internet went out. And, like, we were watching it streaming just because it's easier, but when the internet went out, we had the DVDs. Yeah. And I actually specifically in my office, and I don't watch a ton of TV in here, but I did at the beginning of like quarantine and everything when I was working from home. Um, When I had to get a new TV for here, I specifically got a TV without um, any sort of streaming services on it because I thought it was better for me to be limited to what I own 
because I don't watch what I own that often. <laughs> I like not having everything available to me in my in my room. I mean, I still have other devices I can watch on, but yeah. I went through. I watched a lot of DVDs when I was working from home. I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of horror movies, and there's so many horror movies that you just can't get streaming anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like some of the older ones that. Some of the eighties ones, especially, they just don't. Nobody has them because why would they? Nobody cares about them. Mm-hmm. But I just think that this idea that get rid of all your DVDs or whatever because there's going to be they'll have them on Netflix. It's like yeah, but what mm-hmm. if Netflix doesn't have them and then or Netflix gets rid of it and then it turns up on Amazon Prime. So now you have to get Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. One Amazon Prime doesn't have it, and you have to get Disney Plus. Um, in America, I think you use have more. You have like Hulu and stuff like that. We don't, mm-hmm. and HBO Max, we don't have that over here. But mostly, like new movies would go straight to Sky, uh, Sky TV. So you have to have Sky to watch new movies if you don't get the chance to go to the, the cinema and see them. That costs a lot of money, Sky. Mm-hmm. So there's just not. It's great to have the streaming services. But if you don't have the money for the streaming services um, mm. on a monthly basis, you just buy a cheap DVD or something off eBay. Um, at our Target, uh, Dylan went to go look for a DVD for me for Christmas. Mm. And he noticed they recently, like they had, they had several, they had like two or three rows of DVDs there. And now there's half a, half a section, half a row. Yeah. And not a full row, like one side of the row. And there's that, and then there's an end cap where they put like their sale movies and their um and new releases. But that's it. And I remember like it hasn't been that long since there were, you know, four or five rows of DVDs and a whole wall of DVDs. Like yeah. there was this massive selection. Yeah. And I haven't been to Best Buy in years, but that was a place that had a massive section. And now last time I was there, it was pretty small, and I'm sure it's much smaller now. And it, it just depresses me. I Well, and sometimes Dylan and I will decide we want to rewatch a movie. Like, we don't necessarily have a movie in mind, but we're like, hey, let's rewatch something we love. And it, if it's on streaming, we'll watch it on streaming because that's so much easier. But we have this whole wall of our favorite movies that we can look at. Yeah. But, but you can see in our DVDs, um, especially the TV shows, you can tell when things started streaming. Because yeah. we stopped buying very many sets. Like, most of the DVD sets we bought in recent years were old shows. Mm-hmm. Um, like, after uh, the 2016 election, I was depressed. And I guess I just needed comfort. And so I bought a ton of old shows on DVD. Like, Bewitched and Brady right, Bunch yeah. and stuff like that. Facts of Life. Like, I still haven't even watched some of them. But I just wanted them in my home right. <laughs> in case I needed them. Um, I needed that comfort. And my Cosby show box set was not going to do it. Um, because I can't watch it yet until he's dead. Um, <laughs> that's the compromise I made. But yep. yeah, you can tell that. I mean, we still buy some occasionally, mostly for gifts for each other. And then you can tell, looking at the Marvel movies, exactly when we got at Disney Plus because yeah. I stopped buying that. Well, because at this point, I'm like, I should might as well wait till they're cheap because I'm not going to watch them right away like I used to. Because yeah. or because. I'll watch them streaming and they're never, they never go down in price very much though, which is frustrating. You never find them for like 10 bucks. Uh, right. So positives, my positives, the soundtrack, which you're <laughs> damn it. 
<laughs> Sorry. You can say the same. You can't say No, it is, it is. I know. It is the same because I still listen to it. I still love that music. Um, I it's it's one of the better soundtracks from the '90s, and the '90s had some very good soundtracks. Um, yeah. And I love a soundtrack with original music, like it's not just a bunch of singles that were already popular. Yeah. Um, and because most of the soundtrack is covers. Too. Yeah. The the Heather Nova cover of uh, "I Have the Touch," whatever it is, by Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Peter Gabriel. But I prefer Heather Nova's version of that song. I love Heather Nova. And what I learned from, you know, we've we've talked before about how DVDs, um, like things like Dawson's Creek, yeah. that they couldn't have, they didn't sell well enough for them to justify paying for the original music. Yeah. But what you always find from the original music is Heather Nova. So I'm guessing her her music's cheap because they never have to change the music when it's Heather Nova. And she, because she was used on a lot of TV shows in the in the 90s. That's right. how I got into her. Yeah. See, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of 90s music, right? I'm not a mm. massive fan of 90s music. But I do enjoy a good 90s um, movie soundtrack. I really do. There is some really mm. good stuff. And I think that a lot of the soundtracks pick out the better songs mm. in the 90s that I enjoy. But um, but I did not have a good time listening to the, say, like, the charts. Um during the 90s because there's a lot of stuff I really didn't yeah. like. Yeah, I mean, I'm more into the alternative music. I don't love the pop music of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, we've been watching Yellow Jackets, which is an excellent show. Um, and That's part true. of it takes place in the 90s. And so they have a ton of 90s music. And, like, stuff that I loved but isn't... Stuff like Tracy Bonham where people don't remember her mm. now. And so it's nice to hear they didn't pick the obvious stuff. There's also a show called Cruel Summer that took place in the 90s. And the music was was great. But I also was in high school in the late 90s. And so I think we tend to gravitate towards the music from when we were that age. Yeah, I think so. used to love 80s music like mm-hmm. so much. And I still do like 80s music, right? And I do like a lot of like the, the new wave stuff. Um, and alternative and uh, uh, punk pop and stuff like that. I like all that kind of stuff. But I, I have suddenly, in the past few years, I've had a sudden appreciation for 70s music. Mm-hmm. And I think music from the 70s fucking rocks. And I just um, listen to that a lot now. So mm-hmm. my mixture of 70s and 80s is what I listen to. And I, I, I'll listen to the occasional 90s song uh, last like three days ago, I for some reason just put on um All Star by Smash Mouth and <laughs> danced along to it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you've just got to. So before we go, I have notes. I always have notes. Okay. The movie was shot um to be PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. That's why we only have one f bomb in the movie. But the MPAA said that because it involves witchcraft and teenagers that it's automatically mm-hmm. an R. I hate yeah. that. Yeah. So it's it's actually if you watch the movie, there's nothing much in it because it's yeah. designed to be PG thirteen. It's it's kind of the opposite of can't hardly wait for me. Like if they knew when they were making it what kind of rating it was gonna get, how different would the movie be? Right? Like yeah. in the craft, would they have put in different language? Would they have made certain scenes harsher or something and it's the same thing like can't hardly wait was shot as a rated r movie and the studio made them do pg-13 and they had to cut out so much and it's like if 
if the studio had told them it had to be PG-13 at the beginning, it might be a more solid film. Yeah. If you look at something like Tremors, where they were shooting for a PG-13 rating, mm-hmm. but they didn't really understand the rules. So they had like a few F-bombs in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the MPA told them to cut some out and only left one in. So there's some dubbing in that movie uh, where they dub over the F-bombs. Uh, but that's because they just didn't understand the rules back in 1989 when they were filming it, which is fair mm. enough. So Farooza Balk um, owned a, an occult store in real life. Mm-hmm. The The director of this movie in the commentary said that that's because she was into witchcraft, but she denies that. She said that she wasn't into witchcraft. It's just that it, when before filming this movie, it's she went to the store to buy books on witchcraft Mm-hmm. Um, for this movie um, because she wanted to understand her character better and then she found that the store was closing down and she bought it to save mm-hmm. the store um, but you know, great I love that, I love that uh, Jeffrey yeah. Dean Morgan and Paul Rudd recently bought um, a candy store I think in New York because I think it was about to close oh really? and they really loved it, yeah, yeah, yeah um, that's great I think I'm remembering that story correctly Um and, you know, when you have money, yeah. why, not? why not? Why not? Um, and you know to, what? I'm all that um, uh, return to us money to good use, you know? <laughs> well, I'm not a Wiccan, although yeah. I had friends in high school who were. So I kind of like I had some books, but I'll tell you, I love a good God. What do you call it? I, I forget what you call that kind of store. Um, An occult store. Well, no, there's there's another word. But I no. can't remember what it is. But I, I love those stores. Um, I used There's one here, and I used to go there to get incense when I burned incense yeah. a lot. And Magic Box? No. No, I actually forget what it's called, but it's still there. And I love, like, you go into one of those stores, and there's always, like, very tranquil music. And yeah. it smells nice. And the people who work there are always lovely. And, um, oh, Peace of Mind. That's what it's called here, I think. Right. Um. And they're they're lovely. St- like I would I would buy one that was dying if uh, I had the money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I I wish I wanted books from those stores because I like going to them, but I have no reason to go to them because Dylan hates incense. All right, okay. There's a really good shot in this that I like in theory, but it doesn't really work for me. Um, it's when Rochelle looks in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um. She's standing in her towel because she's in the changing room. Um, and she's looking she looks in the mirror, but her reflection turns and faces away from her. So mm-hmm. she's looking at the back of her reflection's head. Yeah. And I like the idea of that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work because she has no reaction to seeing the back of her reflection's head. So yeah. I think I think the shot would have been better if she turned the other way and her reflection followed her. So the mm-hmm. reflection was looking at the back of her head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that but, part always yeah. seems like kind of out of place to me. Yeah. Like it's a it's a cool shot, but it's it there's something about it that just feels a little off to me. Yeah, because it's like it seems to be, oh look what we can do. Mm. You know what I mean? That's all it is. Yeah. Oh look what we can do. Computers and stuff. Woo. By the way, uh so last night I was talking at we at dinner, I was talking about how 
um, I had to watch this movie today, and it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so both me and Xander, um, who's eight, have the day off. And I was like, but Xander can't be in the room when I watch it. And Dylan was like, why? And I, ha- I had thought I remembered um, Christine Taylor actually saying the N-word in this movie. Um, I, or I, was, I was off about what N-word it was. Not that what she says is any better. Uh, no. But I I told Dylan, I was like, well, it's because there's there's a word I don't want Xander to hear. And he was like, what? And I was like, the N-word. And I've been worried. I've been wondering for years how to have that conversation about that word with Xander. Because I prefer he not hear it at all. <laughs> but I, I've been worried, yeah. what if he hears it somewhere and then he says it without understanding how bad he, it is? He's going He's going to hear it. But no, here's what happened, though, is that I said the N-word and Xander goes, oh, that's a really bad word. And we were like, how do you know about it? And apparently he saw a YouTube video that talked specifically about what a terrible word it is and how you're not supposed to say it. And I was like, well, I guess I I guess YouTube had the talk with him because I did not. And and we you know, and so then we were just like, yeah, that's a word that you literally never say. Like we never say it. Um, And the kid already knew. And luckily he didn't learn it in a YouTube video in a bad way. You know, Yeah, no, that's great, actually. Yeah, no, that is good. Yeah. So because of this, because of watching this movie, I found out that my child has uh, already already taken care of one of the uh, talks I was dreading the most. Yeah. Well, especially since if I had a talk with him about it, I'd probably have to say the word, right? Right. And I don't want to. Yeah. No. Just write it down. Because <laughs> just write it down. Yeah. And say, see this word? Never say it. Just, don't say it. Don't read it. Just show him. <laughs> just show him a Samuel Jackson scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie. Because Samuel yeah. Jackson can say it, but I can't. Yeah. Or a Quentin Tarantino scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie. Because he says yeah. that a lot. Um, make sure he doesn't like learn the facts of life from a YouTube video as well, and you're golden. Yeah, he's. I mean, I I learned that I learned that stuff on the streets. So. Uh, kids, kids figure stuff out before parents realize. And so by the time my mom gave me the book that explained it all, um, I had already kind of figured it out based on crude jokes children made. Yeah. I'm 45 years old. I can't remember when I learned that shit. I don't know. I like to think I was told by my mom or it was school, but I must've learned it before school. Yeah. Um, because I remember, like, learning that, like, sex education in school, we would just laugh at everything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all we have time for. So, our next um, movie, we're doing two romantic comedies for February. Um, and Jen's pick is first. What is your pick for your romantic comedy, Jen? Uh, it's Kate and Leopold, which is another movie that has Breck and Meyer in it. Oh, there you go. Oh, Breck and Meyer annoyed the piss out of me. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. He was really good yeah. at it. Yeah, no. Ah, uh, yeah. He was good. Yeah. He annoyed me. So, yeah. You know, he, he did, did his. Job. Yeah. He, he understood the assignment. Exactly. And most of his lines were improvised. So, there you go. Uh, yeah, Kate and Leopold. What year is that? 2000, 2001? It's, it just... it's 2001. It's me barely getting like. Barely. In, into the, my limit of when I'm supposed to pick movies. Because it no, came out when I was 19. I've never seen it. So that'll be interesting. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at DropThePilotPod. 
if you want to go to the website shiftthebench.co.uk contact the shiftthebench.co.uk as the email address where can people follow you online Jen I'm at pilot inspectors on Twitter and uh, I have a party of five rewatch podcast uh, called closer to free so well have you got uh, an episode of that out you know what we have a couple episodes recorded one which we recorded like six months ago and we still haven't put them out i wanted to i wanted to have three to go out and it has not happened because i've been in school so um i need to make dylan do that soon uh we need to get back on we need to get back on track especially since there's an actress from one of the later seasons that already agreed to be on the podcast and there's some writers like i have people i can do interviews with and i still haven't done that i'm a bad podcaster yeah yeah i don't think we'll ever have interviews in this podcast well the problem I, is i just can't bounce about shit the the problem is i have to do it myself and dylan's really good at it because he's done a couple interviews with me but he yeah. he hates it he doesn't care about having interviews so when i interviewed one of the actors from party of five uh, i had to do it myself which uh gave me anxiety yeah yeah i interviewed um someone for drop the pilot Mm-hmm. Um, David Mish, uh, he wrote one of the pilots that I talked about. That um, that my co-host at the time, uh, Testo, <laughs> he shat on that pilot so badly. <laughs> um, and uh, David actually listened to the episode uh, to just sort of like hear my voice and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, um, and he was very gracious though. Yeah, <laughs> because I liked the pilot, so that was good. Um, so anyway. Uh, Thank you for listening and we'll speak to you all next time. Bye. Goodbye.